to a special five-part episode on Ascensioning the Bar. First, a word from our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, Inc. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional, independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across all industries. With its knowledge of effective compliance and ethics programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 700 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this five-part series on the intricacies of suspension and disbarment, I'm joined by Rod Grandin. Rod is a managing director at Affiliated Monitors, and he's going to help us walk through what suspension and debarment is, but more importantly, why it needs to be studied, understood, and learned by the greater compliance community. We're going to take up five separate topics in this five-part series. Number one, what's the difference between criminal civil actions and suspension and debarment? Two, what's the actual difference between a suspension and a debarment? Three, what's the relationship to the FCPA and other matters to suspension and debarment. Four, what are factors considered as part of suspension and debarment present responsibility determination? And five, what are some of the remedies and responses under suspension and debarment? I know you'll find this fascinating series very useful for you as the compliance practitioner. This special five-part series on suspension and debarment is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again, back for part two of my five-part series that I am uh, exploring suspension and debarment with Rob Grandin. Rob is a managing director at Affiliated Monitors. Today, we're going to take up the topic of what is suspension and debarment and go into it uh, a little bit more into the weeds. Uh, Rod, I was wondering if you might be able to start off by uh, really going over for us in some detail, what's the difference between suspension and debarment? Okay. Well, before I do that, I want to first point out again why this should be of interest to your, your listeners. Um, in fiscal year 20, 2016, the most recent year for which the federal government has published data, there were 718 suspensions. There were 1,855 proposed debarments and 1,676 debarments. In total, there were 4,249 actions that had to do with excluding parties from the federal marketplace. So, uh, and again, someone could say, well, there are you know, hundreds of thousands of contractors. True, uh, but still, these are very significant numbers, and uh, I just wanted to offer that as, as context. Now, when we look at suspension and debarment, suspension is designed to be temporary in nature. In fact, the regulations provide that a suspension can only be in place for up to 12 months. And to extend it beyond 12 months, you must have permission from the Attorney General's office. Uh, and then you can only extend it for an additional six months. 
The idea behind suspension is to essentially take steps to protect the government's interest from a contractor that is believed to be unsuitable as a business partner until more of the facts can be assembled. Generally, the investigation is still underway, and there's a need to take protective protective steps before all the information has been fully gathered. Again, temporary in nature. A debarment, on the other hand, uh, has a specific term, and it it can be generally uh, not to exceed three years. It can be more. It can be less, depending on the specific facts in, in, in play. But the point is that debarment is for a specified period of time. There are evidentiary differences between suspension and debarment. The standard of evidence to support a suspension or when there is not an indictment is adequate evidence. And for practitioners, adequate evidence is a very low standard of evidence. Roughly, if you want to put it in the realm of percentages, yeah, somewhere north of uh, 50%, somewhere above 50%. Um, on the other hand, debarment, in the absence of a conviction or a civil judgment for specified offenses, the standard of proof is one of preponderance of the evidence. And that, that, that pushes you uh, a little further north in, in uh, above that 50 percent. Uh, you know, I think, again, if we're talking about percentages, I, I think comfortably you want to be uh, well, well above that 50-50 proposition. Um, so there, the procedural safeguards between suspension and debarment are not particularly all that different, at least under the procurement rule. And I must point out, there are two sets of rules at present within the United States government. One is the procurement rule, which is captured in the Federal Acquisition Regulation, which is at 48 CFR. The other is at at, uh, 2 CFR, Part 180, and it generally controls suspension debarment actions for grants and other non-contract-related matters. Procedurals, the procedures between the two rules differ to some extent, um, but for the most part, they're, they're, <laughs> they are generally aligned, um, except as it relates to initiating actions for a proposed debarment. But in either case, suspension or debarment, proposed debarment, a suspension requires a notice. At the time that a party is entered into the excluded parties list, on the System of Acquisition Management, or SAM.gov, a notice is issued to the contractor advising uh, that the government has initiated the suspension and that uh, the factual basis for the suspension and the rights and procedures available to the respondent uh, as it relates to the suspension. As I said, the exclusion is effective immediately. In the proposed debarment realm, a debarment begins with a proposed debarment. Again, a party is put into this system of acquisition management on the exclusion list, and notice is sent out at the same time advising the party that they have been excluded from federal uh, contracting. Under the procurement rule, that's an immediate exclusion. Under the non-procurement or the common rule, 
that that is not an immediate exclusion unless the proposed bombing is also accompanied by a suspension. So those are sort of the general differences between suspension, debarment, and the procurement and non-procurement rule as it relates to the actions. Rod, can you tell us who decides to go forward with a suspension and debarment action? Yeah. So within each federal agency, there's at least one and sometimes more than one suspending and debarring official. Uh, Generally, these officials are senior government officials. Uh, In my case, uh, with the Department of the Air Force, I was the Deputy General Counsel for Contractor Responsibility and a member of the Senior Executive Service. That is fairly typical across federal agencies. Uh, Again, the notion is these are fairly seasoned and experienced individuals that assume these positions. The whether where those individuals are located within the organization differs from from agency to agency. As I indicated within the Department of the Air Force, I was a part of the General Counsel's office. Uh, in the Army, that individual is a part of the uniformed service even though it's a civilian that occupies in the Navy, also part of the general counsel's office. As you move to some of the civilian agencies, they can be placed in the uh, acquisition community, or they can be placed in other parts of uh, the organization. So sometimes identifying who is the suspending and debarring official for a given agency can be a bit challenging. Uh, And for those that are interested or have a need for that type of information, they can go to, uh, it is, I believe, the ISDC, that is ISDC.gov website, which is the website for the interagency suspension and debarment community. And on that website, they do have posted the what should be the current suspending and debarring officials for the various federal agencies. So, Rod, unfortunately, we're near the uh, end of our time, but I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. I've been visiting with Rob Grandin, Managing Director at Affiliated Monitors, and in today's segment, we uh, took up a topic of uh, taking a deep dive into what is suspension and debarment. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode where we consider why suspension and debarment is uh, so important to the compliance community. So, Rod, thank you. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode. This special five-part series on suspension and debarment is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>